Welcome to another episode of the Spot On Podcast. In season one, we focused on the fundamentals of skin cancer, interviewing some of Australia's leading clinicians on the topic. In this season, season two, we're focused more on the human side of a diagnosis. And for this season of the Spot On Podcast, MScan is thrilled to have renowned journalist Deborah Knight involved, and Deb will be interviewing patients alongside a key member of their treatment team. In this episode, you'll hear from Doug Fayer. Doug's a fishing expert who's been diagnosed with non-melanoma skin cancer. He's had more than 20 surgeries to remove a range of squamous cell carcinomas from his body. His 23rd surgery was by far the worst. It was a surgery that took 10 hours and he lost the left side of his face and his ear. Non-melanoma skin cancer is the most common cancer diagnosed in Australia and two out of three Australians will be diagnosed with skin cancer by the time they turn 70. Before Doug caught up with Deb, which you'll hear in a minute, I spoke with Doug about his personal experiences of the surgeries and treatments that he's received and the impact that it's all had on him and his family. When I had the main surgery on the face, after the specialists informed me that I have to lose my left ear and most of the left side of my face. In fact, I lost all of the left side of my face, including part of my jawbone, multiple lymph nodes. I lost both saliva glands on the left-hand side, which I might add makes it very difficult to talk at times. You don't realise how much you need lubricant in your mouth uh, so you can talk to people and I find myself everywhere I go I have to have you know a drink with me otherwise I, I sound like a drunk person but anyway we had a situation where I went off to Monash Medical Centre and later that day there was a 10-hour operation on my face. There were three groups of surgeons all specialising in different areas from um, uh, cancer specialists to uh, hearing specialists and uh, plastic surgeons. At the end of that 10-hour operation, I actually came out of it pretty well. However, after that, I went downhill. And I don't, of course, remember any of it because I was out to it. But the thing that this insidious disease has told me and really shown me is how it affects your family. Um, I, I still have enormous problems with realising the hospital called my wife at 3am on the third day to say, you well, you better come in because Doug's doing poorly and we, we may lose him. Uh, for a wife, for a wife who is there with me, um, by my side at, at all times, that is such a dreadful thing to hear. So as a result, one of the things about this disease that I hate so much is how it affects her more than me. It does affect me, of course it does, but I've got a fair bit of resolve about me and I tend to, to you know, get over it. But I know how much it affects her 
And it also affects the rest of my family, my, my daughter, my sons, even down to my grandchildren. They all get very upset when dad or papa's in hospital. So every day that I've, I've been around since then, I do my best. I don't dwell on the negative. But the family side of things is, is, is so important, so important. We're coming up to, a, to Christmas it would seem that I've made another one, which is fantastic. But I, once again, I look back to how the people at Peter McCallum helped me and, and put me onto this immunotherapy program, which has worked so well. You know, I, I'm grateful for every bit of that. It's worth noting that Doug's not your typical cancer patient either. And it's a reminder that everyone, particularly in Australia, as a risk of developing skin cancer. Even when I go into hospitals and seeing the specialists at uh, Monash Health and I sit in a, uh, a huge waiting room with many other cancer patients and when you have a look at me, you can see that, yes, I've got only one ear and my leg sewn to my face, but I'm a big bloke. I'm not your atypical cancer patient who's in a lot of trouble, weighing only, you know, 50 to 60 kilos and uh, very frail, very uh, weak. So to a lot of people, I don't look like I'm a cancer patient when in actual fact I have two different styles of cancer. But I, I look around the room when I'm there and I think to myself, you know, oh, you poor bugger. I wonder if I'll see you when I come to the waiting room again. And while melanoma is quite often the skin cancer that we focus on as the most deadly, Doug is a prime example that non-melanoma skin cancers are also a big concern. This particular disease that I have with the squamous cell carcinomas, we're all uh, melanoma-centric. We believe that that's the only way you're going to die of skin cancer. Sure, I've had five melanomas removed from the body, but I've also had 23 squamous cell surgeries. And as many patients know, when undergoing diagnosis and treatment for skin cancer, having trust and a good partnership with your clinical team is critical. And as we'll hear now, this is something that Doug has developed with Patricia Terrell plastic and reconstructive surgeon whose main area of practice is skin cancer. Here's the conversation that Doug and Trisha had with Deb Knight about Doug's experience with skin cancer and his treating team. Well, Doug and Trisha, it's lovely to speak to you both today. I want to start with you, Doug, because I understand that you're a bit of a celebrity in the fishing world. I'd love to uh, hear about your skills with the line. Thanks, Deb. Well, yes, I've been around fishing for a very long time. I had fishing charter boats. I made television programs. We had Ed and also back in the video days when that used to be a strong medium, we used to make programs teaching the 80% of anglers who catch 10% of the fish how to do it. I've done all of that. And although I'm a retired person these days, I still tournament fish which is a series that's run up and down the east coast of Australia, fishing for brim in the estuarine systems that we have. 
And it's a rather big scene with lots of fishermen and where we all madly get involved. When, of course, COVID lets us these days. Well, that's right. Well, next time I can get out and wet a line, I'll have to uh, draw on your expertise. But what were the first signs in terms of your, your health that you discovered that something wasn't quite right? In 2012, I was referred to Professor Catalano at Peninsula Private because I was suffering with tiredness all the time and my bloods weren't reading terribly well. So John Catalano discovered that I had a disease called myelofibrosis, which is, if you like, it's a cancer of the bone marrow. And as a result, I went on what's called a trial program for a JAK2 inhibitor drug called momelitinib, and that worked extremely well. I, I was so lucky. My myelofibrosis in a short period of time was starting to respond to this drug, and I improved. However, there was a side effect, and the side effect was my squamous cell carcinomas were somewhat exacerbated by this drug. But Trish, she is far better at describing what happened than I. And as a result, I ended up, and I use this term in surgery, so I became a skin cancer factory. So you were a pincushion in many ways in terms of the, the amount of surgeries that you had to undergo as well. I had 23 different surgeries to remove both melanomas and squamous cell carcinomas. In fact, I remember going to a, a restaurant after Trish Tyrrell had done some major surgery on the side of my face and I had ditches going up my face and I walked in and my friend uh, who owns the restaurant said, oh my God, Doug, what's happened to you? And I said, you wouldn't believe it. I was attacked by a couple of women. Um, <laughs> with knives at Frankston. And then, of course, my wife had to interject to say, yes, that was two surgeons at a private hospital. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I've had a lot of surgery and it's been a uh, painstaking set of procedures, but culminating in the big one, which took the left side of my face, my removal of my ear, my saliva glands. I think there was about 23 lymph nodes that were removed. They put a rather large chunk of my leg and sewed it to that side of my face. And that was life-saving surgery that went for 10 hours and caused a bit of grief in post-op at one point. But overall, it improved. And when I got out of that, and apart from all the other things, there were 100 days of radiation that I had during that time, we discovered that the lumps that they removed from the left side of my face were now growing on the right hand side oh, of my face. Goodness. And they told me that I was in big trouble. But that's basically what happened in the surgery, although Trish will elaborate more in the technical side of it. Mm. Well, I'll bring Trish in at this point because obviously, Trish, plastic reconstructive surgery is your specialty. And I don't know if Doug's case was at the more extreme end of things, but how did you first come across Doug as your patient? Well, Doug was referred to me initially because of a wound on his leg, so it was sort of semi-accidental that we came across each other at Frankston Hospital. 
he then just kept on popping up more and more skin cancers over the years. So he um, had to keep on coming back and seeing me. But yeah, no, we developed a very good relationship and we just kept on plodding along and trying to get control of the skin cancers. Unfortunately, by 2019, we sort of lost control. He was coming in and really every month or two, he was coming in with new skin cancers, sort of just a few centimetres away from where we took the last one out. And that was the big problem. Then it started, they spread to the lymph glands, the cancer, the squamous cell. And then I ended up having to refer him up to Monash to their specialised head and neck unit because it was more than I could deal with locally down here. And that's when he had his major surgery. But the other main thing at that stage was just that we had to stop his treatment or I did, the oncologist did for the treatment for the myelofibrosis because it was just making his skin cancers go out of control. And So how did that he, work though? I mean, how did he then become a, as you referred to it, Doug, as a, as a factory? How was that correlation? No, with, with Tricia, I mean, I'm just wondering from a medical point of view, how can treatment for one cancer then create a factory for another? Yeah, you probably need to ask the oncologists or the hematologists a little bit more about that, but certainly the JAK inhibitors, a side effect of it is stimulating more cancers to develop of oh. a different type. So we stopped the, the JAK inhibitors and then he was put on an anti-PD-1 treatment, which is much better for the squamous cells, and they just melted away. It was just amazing. We were so lucky that Doug had a really good response to this treatment and where he had tumour, it started to all just dissolve. So he still gets odd spots now and then, some basal cell carcinomas, but yeah, it's been life-saving for him and touch with the myelofibrosis is still under control. So where are you at at the moment, Doug, after enduring what you have endured? Are you in a stable position? Look, I believe I'm in a stable position. Certainly after visiting Trish this week, she tells me that I've got to have a couple of Minor procedure yet again, a couple of minor procedures. You can't keep uh, away, and I must, and I must do them soon. She keeps telling me, um, <laughs> uh, so I will. But no, look, I, to be honest, it's been you know what when you're young and you're out on a boat as I was most of my life, and you believe that you are seven foot tall and bulletproof. Whilst I didn't do other things that can cause grief to you, like smoking. I didn't protect myself enough. That we, we didn't know back in those days how to protect ourselves properly. Uh, so as a result, you know, I, I'd say, oh, look, I'll be fine. It's a little bit of sunburn, but, you know, I'll be good. And having the type of haircut that I've got, which I'm, as you can see, I don't have a lot of hair at all, if at all. I've always worn hats, but, gee, you know, that's where most of the cancer has popped up. And these days when you see me out on the water, I'm in 50-plus clothing and I'm covered head to toe. There is not a part of me that, well, maybe my fingers, that are out in the sun. Mm. I get very little vitamin D that way. But overall, it's been a taxing time. But the silver lining, Deb, has been the immunotherapy program that I'm, I managed to become a part of. Well, it seems as though that treatment has just been a real game changer in regards for skin cancer for many people, such as yourself, Doug. But Tricia, in general, I mean, Australia, we're the skin cancer capital of the world. And I mean, I've had barnacles taken off as well. I've had some BCCs removed from my nose and I've been told I'll have many more as well, having grown up in the sun and in Coffs Harbour. And I was from the generation where we did slip, slop, slap. And there was that awareness. Do you find that people have a good understanding when they come to you of melanoma and skin cancer in general? 
Not really. Most patients come in, usually by the time they get to me, they've already had a diagnosis of cancer made, but they have no real understanding of what the cancer is, how it's going to affect them. So as you mentioned, the basal cells, you've had several, they're the good ones to get. They're called malignant, but they don't spread around the body. Yes, you can neglect them. They can grow down into the eye socket, into bone if you neglect them and leave them for years. But the majority are locally growing and just need sort of relatively minor surgery. The squamous cells, like Doug's had a lot of, there's much more of a problem. They're malignant. They can send cells off around the body, spread it to the glands and things like that. So you have to be a little bit more aware of them. And then obviously there's the melanomas. So when a patient comes into me and they've got a skin cancer, often they're very distraught, upset, things like that. I've got cancer. That's all they hear is the word cancer. And so it is a matter of reassuring a lot of them, especially because the BCCs are so common. Probably 70, 80% of the cancers I see are basal cells. And just reassuring them, look, you'll be fine. We just have to get this out. But look, there's a 40% chance you'll get more sort of thing. We've all had, unfortunately, that chronic sun exposure. It's a lethal dose of sun damage to our skin and it's a matter of constant watching. And how important, Doug, is that relationship between the clinician or the surgeon and and the patient, such as you've developed over the years with Tricia? Because you've got to have a degree of trust, don't you, in in the fact that they know what they're talking about to help you through? Well, seriously, the luckiest thing that ever happened was me meeting Trish Terrell. She has... uh, Thank you. And and she probably she probably won't like me me saying this, but she's been very much like a mother hen to me with my lesions. She has at times chastised me when I have suggested that I don't really want to have yes laugh away. He he, he uh, wants to go off fishing all the time. The truth comes out. Yes, I have to fit in between the fishing competitions. (laughs) I. I say to Trish that uh, she says to me, Doug, you, you need to have this done. And it was once she said, you need to have this done and you need to have it done now. And I said, oh, look, I'm going away next week. Can I have it when I come back? And she said, look, you can put this off if you like. It's your choice. You either put it off or you can die. They were her words. I'll never forget that. And from that time I listen to everything she's got to say and I try and be a good boy. You be a good boy and you do as you're told. Is that true, Trish? <laughs> we need reason. We have to negotiate a little bit. So, uh, yes, there is a bit of negotiation at times. So, But, yes, no, he's pretty good. And like, But, uh, but in, in coming back to what you asked, I trust Trish implicitly. She is there for me. That large operation that I had to go to the Monash Head and Neck Clinic for was, you know, just so big that it was out of what we could do locally. I had three pairs of surgeons who all did different work over a 10-hour surgery, pulling me apart and putting me back together again. And it really was major surgery. Those people, I, I might add, they do phone to see how I'm going. They keep in contact with me, but they were fantastic. The staff were brilliant. However, when I went back with all the lumps on the other side of my head, that's when they looked at me and said, you know, we've lost control. You're going to have to look at an immunotherapy program that you can get involved with at Peter McCallum's. And they referred me on. And to be honest, by goodness, that was a lifesaver because I I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I uh, was unable to, uh, to get onto that program. It's almost as though your skin became your enemy. Oh, God, yes. 
It has. And it still lets me know, too, that, you know, I wasn't a good boy when I was younger. But, you know, there seems to be a lot more control now, Deb, than through this immunotherapy program that I'm on than I've ever had before. I don't go to Trish and knock on her door and say, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble. I've got all these lumps growing. It's been an absolute lifesaver. But you've also had a very good oncologist locally helping out as well. So, Oh, yeah. yes, yes. I, I, I was yeah. going to mention that I've got a local oncologist who is brilliant. Actually, the one thing that I would like to say, that when you become involved with cancer, and I'm sure it's with all the forms of cancer, the very best people you will ever meet, clinicians and nurses within that field, I don't know where they get them from, but they're a very special breed of people and they are really the best people you'll ever meet medically, in my opinion. And what's your view, Tricia, too, of patients asking for a second opinion? Yeah, no, look, certainly I think if the patient feels uncomfortable with their surgeon or with the options they've been given or lack of options, sometimes it is, definitely I think more than reasonable to ask a second opinion. I certainly don't like sort of some patients do doctor shop. I think that's sort of probably a little bit over the top, but certainly a second opinion is more than reasonable if you're not comfortable with the doctor or what they're suggesting. Or go back to your GP and discuss it with them as the other alternative, certainly. Yeah, there's a fine line though, isn't there, between being armed with information and mm. heading down the rabbit hole of Dr. Google, which I think a lot of people revert yes. to. Yes, 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 yes. So what would be your advice then, Doug, for someone who has received the diagnosis of skin cancer, of this journey that they're facing, what would you tell them? I would tell them to uh, find a really good oncologist and become involved also with a skin surgeon, plastic surgeon like Trish Terrell, who does specialise in that field. They're the people that are going to look after you. Do what they say to do. And there's a good chance that you'll come out of this. Yeah, Trish keeps laughing when I say things like that, but <laughs> it's it, it's true. I I do listen to her. I I am. Yeah. I try to be good. You are most of the time. Most of the time, the disclaimer comes out. And and Trish, what would your advice be to people? Because obviously, as you say, there's that sense of fear and dread to get that C word, cancer. Look, I think it really is. As you mentioned previously, prevention of skin cancers, that slip, slop, slap, I think that's the number one thing is sort of looking at prevention and trying to inform family and friends, prevent them, because that's by far the best way of avoiding this problem that Doug's had. The SunSmarts campaign's been around since the 1980s. It really has got the right message. And the second important message really is to get your skin checked regularly, see if there's any new spot, spots that are changing. And obviously see your GP if anything happens, so if you notice any new spot. And a whole body skin check because... Of yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, yeah, I did a study and I'm a plastic surgeon who does skin checks, which is a bit unusual sort of thing. I don't regularly do skin checks sort of for people just coming in for a skin check. But if a patient comes in with a skin cancer, I then do a full skin check because I did a study back in 2008, which I published looking at 100 consecutive patients all referred with a skin cancer. And of those, 67% had other lesions needing treating, of which 46% were skin cancer. So nearly half of them had other skin cancers that weren't evident to either the patient or the GP. 
that they were either under the clothing or in a spot the patient couldn't see or that they just didn't realise because mm. a lot of cancers when they're small aren't that obvious. When they're large, yes, they're fine to see. They're bleeding, they're ulcerating and things like that, but the larger they are, the bigger the hole I have to make, the harder is the reconstruction. So it's much easier to get the spots while they're small. And so, look, yeah, when I see nearly 50% of my patients coming in with spots that haven't been noticed... To me, it's much more sensible to get that skin cancer out while it's small. And yet, so I usually say, look, once you've had one skin cancer, 40% chance you'll get more. You really do need a regular skin check annually, at least with your GP. Some people more frequently if they're popping up a lot. But I think, yeah, watch your skin because unfortunately we're all going to get them. And then obviously there are lots in the community that are a little bit luckier, sort of the Mediterranean, the Asian skins, they won't pop them up as much. The people under 60 look like they're not going to get as many as we are the over 60s, but only time will tell. Yeah, and I think you're right. Making it as a, a regular check like you do going to the dentist, getting your eyes checked, get your skin checked, make it just an annual check if not more so. And I understand that, Doug, you're keen to become involved in the world of skin cancer as an advocate, not just as a patient. Oh, look, I am, Deb. I thought about this a lot before I, I made mention of it. And I spoke to my grandkids, my other friends' children, and really, yeah, at school, apart from children being told to wear a hat and, and look after themselves, that's where it finishes. You only have to go to any beach on a warm day and look at the, if you like, the white Anglo-Saxon, as Tricia said a minute ago, and how many of those bodies are on the beach. And they say they're protected, but they're not. I'm a bit of an advocate to get out and talk to people, talk to schools, talk to whomever about protecting yourself. Clothing has come a long way in protecting you. 50 plus clothing is readily available. Hats are much better designed than they ever were. And there's other protection, like we're all used to wearing masks at the moment, but there are other masks that you can wear to cover your face that will stop you being burnt. I'm, I'm talking about people that, you know, I'm now going to workplace areas where really tradies do not protect themselves at all well. You see the children on the beach, they're well protected. But as soon as they hit the teenage years, like mum and dad, their old hat, we're not going to listen to them anymore. And I think it's that teenage years we need to start making changes in that population. And then obviously the, the 20, 30, 40-year-old tradies and things like that and people that are working outdoors. And in some work environments, they are better. It's gradually coming in, but there's still a lot of people that are not being protected. And basically, they only have to look at me to look at what I've gone through. And I'm a normal human being, but I've only got one ear. I have a, a bit of a moonscape on the back of my head that... Uh, that Trish <laughs> promised me she would never do, but she did. And to be perfectly honest, I can show what happens if you don't look after yourself. I've got proof. And, you know, and I don't like to down to kids about looking after themselves or people in general. I just make them aware of what can happen unless you do the right thing. Well, thankfully, Doug, you are living proof rather than the alternative. That's what my grandkids think. They'd be lost without their papa. Absolutely. And that's it for another episode of the Spot On Podcast. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member if you think they'd get some value. 
If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the episodes in Season 1 about the fundamentals of skin cancer. Or check out some of the other episodes in this season where we focus more on the human side of a skin cancer diagnosis. Remember that all of the content that's discussed in this podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as medical advice. Please make sure you speak with a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation. This podcast is brought to you by the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network, MSCAN, who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. MSCAN engages with Australia's leading clinicians, researchers and advocates with the aim of increasing the knowledge of those affected by a diagnosis. For more information about MSCAN and the advocacy work going on to help Australia get skin serious, visit mscan.org.au.